Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Thyroid podcast. I'm Annabelle Bateman, your host. And if you are listening today, the first day that this episode is released, which is Thursday, the 25th of May, 2022, it is World Thyroid Day. So a day to acknowledge everyone with thyroid health issues, to help spread awareness for thyroid health so that those of us with thyroid conditions can get the help we need so we can live the lives that we were created to live and influence uh, the world around us and just, I guess, really live out all of the best uh, aspects of our life. So welcome to World Thyroid Day. Perfect day to be listening to a podcast on thyroid health and why not share this episode with someone you know with a thyroid condition, particularly if they have children of any age, but particularly today we're focusing in on kids and teenagers and thyroid health. So these really are our next generation of thyroid patients and we want to set them up really well, don't we, for their future because we know that when we've got thyroid health issues, we live with with it forever. So we want to make sure that our kids and teens are well set up to live their best lives as they move forward. So my guest today is Tara Nelson. Now you might remember Tara, we did an episode last year on thyroid basics. Now if you haven't caught that episode, definitely go back and listen to it. Tara is excellent at explaining uh, these, you know, the thyroid basics. And I knew she'd be a great person to cover this uh, topic of kids and teens. She is a naturopath that works predominantly with people with thyroid conditions. She trains medical and other health practitioners in how to manage thyroid health well. She has Hashimoto's. One of her teenage daughters has Hashimoto's. She is very well equipped to be talking on this topic. This is action-packed. This episode, Tara doesn't really waste any words. She's got lots of lots of detail in the conversation. I think you're going to find it really helpful. Whether you've got kids or not, with thyroid conditions or not, there's a lot of good thyroid health information as well. It is one that you might want to grab that notebook like the one in my thyroid box that is available on my website with all the tools that you need to kickstart your thyroid journey, you know, practically, positively. It's got, uh, yeah, things like a fabulous folder to take to your doctors and it's got all the tests to ask for and checklists to work through. So, of course, it's got my new book, Kiss and Make Up With Your Thyroid. So it's got affirmations, it's got, it's got little gifts, it's got toxic-free gifts. Uh, so a beautiful gift box. But in it is a notebook in which you could make notes from the various podcast episodes that you listen to. Uh, Yeah, grab a notebook, write some things down. You're going to want to go back to it. So enjoy this episode about from Tara Nelson on kids, teens and thyroid health. Hello, hello. You are about to listen to the Let's Talk Thyroid podcast. My name is Annabelle Bateman. I am your host. And together we are going to explore what it means to live a thyroid-friendly lifestyle. On this show, we cover many different aspects of that thyroid-friendly lifestyle and we try to do it positively and practically to give you information and tools and strategies that you can actually implement in your day-to-day life. So I really hope you enjoy the show. If you do, if you wouldn't mind hitting that follow button on whatever platform you're listening on, that would be really helpful. And if you want to connect with me, the best way to do that is through my website, which is annabellebateman.com. The information presented and discussed in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease and should not be used as a substitute for proper advice from a qualified professional. 
I'm really excited, Tara, to have you back as a guest on the Let's Talk Thyroid podcast. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it when, um, yeah, podcasts get me back. It sort of must mean I'm doing something right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and I think often there's so many different aspects uh, that we can talk about that, and, you know, you, you work, this is specifically your field that you work in. So I, you know, I like to have that follow up. I haven't done many repeat guests, a couple, and uh, yeah, and I think it's nice. It sort of continues that relationship and connection and for people that are listening as well so I appreciate you coming back too oh absolutely thank you and um yeah I mean we know we're talking about thyroid health of course so there's so much isn't there (laughs) as your podcast shows I often listen when I'm driving in the car pop on your podcast and listen to your other um yeah so yeah it's just it's so complex so there's so much to talk about yeah I feel like there's never going to I'm never going to run out of topics (laughs) And, uh, and I, look, I've still got a list of topics and guests that I haven't exhausted yet either oh, without having put, you know, I'm sure there's more on top of that, but I've got a running list of topics I'd like to cover. And this was one of them. And so this yeah. has been on my list for a long time, actually, to talk about teenagers and children with thyroid conditions, because I often get asked about that. And there mm. are often mothers saying, well, you know, <laughs> I've got a child with a thyroid condition, you know, what can I do to help them? So I think, yeah, I think this is a really important conversation. And if I look back, I wasn't diagnosed as a teenager, but I should have been. Uh, For me, I think it was triggered from around about age 12. So I lived with Hashimoto's all throughout my teenage years and didn't know it. So I think I'm also kind of passionate about it. If if I could save a teenager from going through what I went through, then uh, I think this is a really helpful conversation to have. Oh, I think so too. And as we're going to find out, I think there's definitely, you know, the prevalence is much higher than we know, and it's just not diagnosed enough still to this day. And when I'm like talking with my clients and I'm trying to trace back, you know, I always ask them, what was happening when your thyroid was diagnosed? So what, you know, we're looking for the drivers and triggers to find out what sort of tripped on that immune system or what tripped on that thyroid and or what upset the thyroid. Um, and, and many people say, I think, it, you know, I've been feeling like this since, you know, age nine or, or puberty is we're going to find out is a huge trigger for mm-hmm. a thyroid condition. All those hormonal, big hormonal bents in a woman's lifetime um, and actually presented for a summit um, in, for a naturopathic uh, association in the UK last year on this very topic about all those different hormonal uh, episodes in a woman's lifetime and how they can trigger a thyroid condition and puberty is definitely one of them. And I think we, you know, we don't, when we think of teenagers, you know, they're anxious, they're irritable, they're this, they're that. And we put it down, oh, they're just teenagers, right? But I think, you know, due to the inadequacies of that TSH and or inadequacies of the thyroid testing and just testing the TSH, a lot of um, these conditions are being missed out on. You know, it's just, they'll be right. They're just, it's just normal teen behaviour. But, um, you know, as we're going to sort of dive into, it's, it's sometimes not and it really needs to be investigated more. Mm. So there is some overlap in terms of underdiagnosis and misdiagnosis that we get as adult women as well then. 100%. I think across the board, you know, and even when you think about 
menopause, you know, uh, again, that's that time when, or even postpartum, oh, you've just had a baby, you're tired, mm. yes, you're, you're not getting enough sleep, you're this and that, oh, you've just had a baby, or when a woman's going to menopause, the huge, that's where I'm at at the moment, and <laughs> that, you know, the changes that go on, and particularly if you have a thyroid condition, or, and, or there's, there's a lot of physiological changes that go on within, with inside that thyroid gland at these, um, these major hormonal events in a woman's lifetime that, you know, the thyroid is very sensitive. It has to work a lot harder. Um, there's not the right conditions or, um, you know, there's poor sleep or stress or infections or viruses, you know, it can make it, um, you know, quite a hard time. So that's when they can definitely trip up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to, uh, I don't know what the beginning is, start, but start at the beginning. And I mean, how common is it for children and slash teenagers? And I think, you know, you might pull them apart as two separate categories. I'll let you uh, d- differentiate that if you want to. But how common is it for kids slash teenagers to develop either hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's or other thyroid conditions? Yeah, well, I think it's it's more common than we think. I mean, they sort of say, you know, we know that hypothyroidism is mostly associated with adults, but thyroid problems are actually the most common endocrine disorder among school-age children. So mm. it's estimated around about 37 out of 1,000 children have thyroid disease, which doesn't seem quite, you know, you know very common, but, it, you know, it actually is. Uh, and as I, as I said, I think it's not being picked up or screened for as well as it should. But uh, Hashimoto's is the most common form um, in childhood and also the most frequent cause, right? Because we know that Hashimoto's is the, you know, the biggest cause of hypothyroidism in the body, you know, that the immune system tripping on causes hypothyroidism eventually. So, um, yeah, as I said, I think it's more common than we think. It's not being picked up or screened for because of those symptoms, you know, we sort of put down to, oh, it's just, that's just normal childhood behaviour or definitely more teenage behaviour. And then again, when they just go in and test for TSH, I mean, we can, we know that Hashimoto's can present with, you know, TSH being in fairly normal range. So just testing that TSH, not testing the T4, T3, picking up early signs of those low thyroid hormones, or even picking up, um, you know, the antibodies flipping on. So we often see, um, uh, thyroid uh, thyroglobulin in childhood sort of switch on before the, perhaps the, the thyroperoxidase antibodies, mm-hmm. and that can be a little bit of a predictor there. Um, but usually, so let's just sort of go over the the three sort of uh, areas or times when I see hypothyroidism. So number one is congenital hypothyroidism, and this is when it's hypothyroidism is diagnosed at birth. Um, this is characterised by the loss of a function um, in the body due to the thyroid gland failing to develop normally um, through that gestational period. Sometimes uh, children can be born with no thyroid, so the gland is totally absent. Hmm. Um, and about sort of 10% of cases are caused by um, an enzyme defect leading to deficient thyroid hormone production, or there might not be enough iodine, or there could be sort of some sort of brain pituitary gland abnormality. And this is pretty much diagnosed. So nowadays with that heel prick test, they, you know, they're testing for TSH, T4, and that's picked up fairly quickly these days. Um, but it needs to be picked up because, you know, it's a very life-threatening um, condition of diagnosis delayed and immediate treatment is not given postpartum. Um, it can lead to like growth and developmental defects and also, you know, severe mental retardation. So, but it's, it's pretty much picked up straight away now. It's rare for it not to be picked up. 
Um, then I see our children sort of round about maybe, you know, well, I've seen, I guess the next sort of area to consider is so perhaps children have been diagnosed with birth, either born without a thyroid gland, um, which is actually more common than you would than you would actually think. I don't know the statistics there, but it is. It's not common, but you know, I've seen it more often than I'd like to. Um, so you know, I think the, the next sort of question is the inadequacies of taking thyroid medication. So these children are popped on thyroxine. That's it for life, right? And then managed, perhaps tested every year and, and, you know, medication adjusted. But as we know, there are definitely limitations with just taking thyroid medication. And I'm seeing these children brought in that, you know, they're taking the medication, their thyroid function looks fine on pathology, and yet they're having all those symptoms. So that's sort of one, one sort of presentation I do see in, in clinic. Um, other, the next one would be that it's triggered in childhood, probably before that pubescent age, possibly due to, you know, family history. So they've got the, the genetic, genetics there combined with another trigger such as, you know, trauma perhaps or maybe a virus or infection, um, you know, or, you know, celiac disease, another autoimmune condition. So celiac and, and hypothyroidism, Kashimoto's often coexist um, so that's so it's triggered in childhood, usually to something going on. We can normally identify something there. And um, the next one is during puberty. So we've talked about that. It's a major event, um, mainly for girls, but, uh, you know, I have seen it in, in boys as well. And during puberty, the thyroid definitely goes through some physiological changes. So we see a real increase in that thyroid volume occurring as that adaptation to that body and sexual development. So it's a major, major time in the body and the thyroid gland really has to step up. Um, and it's essential for, you know, growth and development. It controls, you know, the actual growth of, of these teens. Um, it's important for the structure of, of the bones, bone development and, you know, sexual development. So it's a massive time where I definitely see that flaring but um, or trigger it, being triggered. But, again, it's, it's, it's often not picked up. It's just put down to, oh, yeah, you're just a normal teen. And, you know, look, if you look at, we consider what the teens of today are going through, you know, their social media, one that we never had to deal with, you know, look, look, the virus that's going around at the moment that has caused a lot of, you know, social isolation, um, mask wearing that's triggered, you know, all of the things. And we know that viruses, are, you know, um, not even considering the, the social impacts of this virus and the lockdowns and all that that's gone on, but a virus is a, definitely a trigger. Um, for thyroid conditions. And, and there's a lot of research at the moment on that coming out. They're starting to show that um, the, the COVID-19 being a virus can definitely trigger um, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, Graves' mm-hmm. disease, you know, and thyroiditis. So, um, yeah, they're the sort of three sort of, uh, sort of scenarios that I generally sort of see in clinic around that. Yeah, well, I think that's really helpful because it gives you some idea and really those a lot of those triggers are the same in adulthood but yes it, i mean i guess my question next question would be does it look different for children and teenagers are the symptoms different or they're the same but we just write them off in a different way like you said before oh it was just a teenage thing like do, are they are they the same symptoms or are there differences 
Well, we definitely have some similar symptoms. So often, but then some different as well. So often the first sign, um, if it hasn't been diagnosed, the first sign is um, the child's growth rate can decrease unexpectedly and skeletal development is often um, delayed. This is in severe hypothyroidism in children that has not been diagnosed. Um, so the child may, so the, they can be very short stature. Um, and, you know, so there, when you're looking at developmental um, delays there across the board, they can they can actually suffer from, yeah, uh, for cognitive, um, physical and mental developmental delays there. Um, then, then the child may also have like a swelling in the neck, so goiter, so the thyroid gland be, can become inflamed. So they, um, we can see those definitely sort of swellings in the neck area. They may have difficulty swallowing, coarseness, um, other symptoms can be, you know, obviously tiredness and lethargy across the board. We're going to see that fatigue. They may have dry, itchy skin, increased sensitivity to cold. So these are common ones as well. Weight gain or weight loss, um, generalised swellings in the body. You know, they're going to possibly have poor concentration at school, um, decreased energy as we've talked about, and, and generally constipation also. Um, but what I see in children that sort of, um, you know, um, differs from adults is behavioural issues. So these um, children can be, uh, you know, particularly in childhood, so they kind of stop growing. They can go from this happy, energetic child to really sullen with very low energy. They can sleep a lot. They can also be aggressive and they can have sort of like friend issues and social issues at school. Um, they can have temper tantrums and, and a lot of these symptoms are not sort of dissimilar to like the spectrum. So we can have meltdowns uh-huh. and be moody. Mm. Yeah, so that's sort of in really sort of like, you know, mean going on for a while and very undiagnosed. They can even be violent and aggressive and have, have these meltdowns that last for hours where they can trash rooms, hurt siblings, hurt themselves. They can have sensory sensitivities, so, so be very sensitive to loud noises, crowds, clothes. So those symptom, symptoms very similar to the spectrum. And I think if any child is brought in, um, you know, like that, it, it definitely needs to be investigated and and I think you know across even though I deal with a lot of thyroid conditions and I'll even if I don't I mean mainly now in my clinic I only see thyroid patients but um, even before that became sort of 100% it doesn't matter who comes to see me whether they're adult child what teen I always get a full thyroid panel I just think thyroid should be investigated 100% with every single person that walks in the door <laughs> or you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it should because um, you know we can because you know and the full thyroid panel because we know the inadequacies of just testing TSH but if we are seeing these really quite sort of spectrum symptoms um, Hashimoto I always think that Hashimoto's in more severe sort of severe form is going on there. Mm. Wow, that's really interesting in terms of the similarity with those spectrum. Could you be, I mean, obviously you could have both, but is that common or is it more common that perhaps it's a thyroid problem misdiagnosed as being on the spectrum? I think there is a bit of an overlap for sure, Mm. Um, but yeah, it just needs to be investigated now. But I think that really when you've got this, you know, you know, young child that's, you know, quite energetic and happy. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, possibly pre-puberty, they really drop into that sullen, low energy, sleep a lot, 
um, and they go through a massive change, then then the siren it really needs to be investigated. Um, these are the children that will be walking around with hoodies on in the middle of summer. Like they really have an incense, like they have low thyroid hormones and they get really cold. So they've got that cold intolerance. They'll be on the the kids that on the couch that just want to, you know, watch movies all day, don't want to go out, um, or they have rugs on all the time. So, you know, it's quite warm, but they're under a rug on the couch as well. So yep. just some little things, little red flags to be um, aware of there. Yeah, and they're, I mean, they're, and they're really helpful practical things, aren't they? Because yeah, we think cold extremities, you know, that oh, slower metabolism is obviously a symptom. Mm. But just how would that present in a child? Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Not a lot of energy, yeah. you know, maybe... Well, I think about the way I parent my boys and I've got three teenage boys. And at this point, I don't think any, well, I thought the oldest one actually was showing some signs of some thyroid problems towards the end of last year. He was in grade 12. So I did have that investigated and it's okay. I don't think optimal, like it's, it's okay. There was no thyroid antibodies. It was all right. But, you know, I'm on the, the lookout, but I would think that it's easy as a parent to say, oh, come on, you're being a bit lazy, get up. You know, all the things that we told, you know, women are told often, uh, you know, you well, just need to lose weight, thing. eat less, exercise more, you know, get up, yeah. off your bum, do something. Like I think of the way I talk to my teenagers sometimes, come on, get up, do something. Yes. Um yeah. Well, we do so, know we see those physiological changes in our teens and it's mm. very sort of you know, indicative of those teenagers. They too can become sullen. They can not talk. They can walk around with hoodies on all the time and you just think, oh, yeah, they're just normal teens. They're going through that. But, um, yeah, I think definitely, particularly if there's a family history, so, mm. you know, children, parents, grandparents, siblings, cousins have a thyroid condition, there's definitely that increased risk or perhaps if there's a history of other autoimmune disease such as like diabetes or uh, type 1 uh, and celiac disease. Um, mm. So, you know, celiac and Hashimoto's coexist quite a lot. Um, you know, particularly if they've, you know, we know they're low in iron, you know, iron is definitely a, we need that for, for thyroid functioning. A mother who um, had a thyroid condition poorly controlled during pregnancy and ended up in thyroxine. And this is, I think, something that I see quite commonly in my clinic that I think this next generation is going to be going to ask. So when I'm, sorry, is going to be able to, you know, um, answer these questions because when I'm in clinic, I'm asking about, you know, what was your mother like? So I'm talking to probably, you know, women our age or my age and, mm. and you know, they didn't know too much back then. Um, particularly in pregnancy, right? But I think a lot of women these days that I see, uh, you know, they've just had that their thyroid condition was triggered in their pregnancy and they'll popped on thyroxine. Most of the time it normalises postpartum and they come off that um, medication, but only for it to trip up again. So once, you know, that thyroid condition developing during pregnancy can be a risk factor of hypothyroidism, you know, later on in life, even though it normalises postpartum. But, you know, I think... These days we're diagnosing it a lot more in pregnancy and we're, you know, having that happen in um, your gestation is definitely a huge risk factor for the development of that in childhood, if that makes sense, that long winded mm. answer. <laughs> but, yeah, when I ask women these days, you know, they don't know. You know, I think back then, you know, our mothers, if something happened, unless it was very severe, um, I think a lot of thyroid wasn't, wasn't diagnosed back then either. 
Yeah. So the other thing is, yeah, having a mother with a thyroid condition poorly controlled during pregnancy is a risk factor. Um, there can be these environmental triggers. So if there's been a major trauma, even a car accident can be very traumatic for, for a young child. If they've had major surgery in their life or major health issues or, again, these viruses, you know, viral triggers mm. um, are definitely a risk factor there. I think we also need to take into account the use of Wi-Fi in these children mobile phones and devices that were never around when we were children, right? And mm. our kids are exposed to this from birth. You know, we were never exposed to Wi-Fi. It's everywhere. And as we know, that thyroid gland is super sensitive to radiation. So any radiation exposure in childhood is a definite risk factor for the development of a thyroid condition, particularly hypothyroidism. So X-rays or MRIs in childhood or even if, if the mum was, you know, during their gestation. So it really mm. takes, you know, taking that thorough history or knowing these little cues, um, you know, you can sort of think, oh, yeah, okay, let's get thyroid checked. So major stress or trauma also Um it's definitely one to look out, you know, major infections, viruses, or, you know, that child who was was tracking along very well and then they did get a major infection or virus and they've never really been well since, that's a definite reason to go and check the thyroid gland as well. Some definite sort of red flags and, um, you know, risk factors there for, for, the, for the development in childhood. Yeah, and when you think about what we have gone through as a globe in the last couple of years, as you said before, that is trauma, you know, for so for so many, aside from then obviously now that viral exposure, if we're talking in Australia, is is now every everywhere. Uh and for those that are listening around the world have probably been exposed to the mm. virus for a longer period of time than we have here. And you over in Western Australia, less time as well. <laughs> um, oh yeah. We're tracking well here at the moment, let me tell you. I've heard, I've heard. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, all the, you know, the lockdowns and you say the social isolation and, you know, I've seen, yeah, just the the stress of, depending on how individual families respond to all of that and the the pressure that that has or what the children might take away from the way their parents are handling it, yeah, there's massive opportunities for stress triggering things yeah I think we've definitely been faced with something that we really don't know what you know the the big outcome is going to be from it for many years to come and Mm. I and I do believe one of those outcomes is going to be the development of more thyroid conditions from you know I've seen I read a lot of research and I'm really watching the research around um, COVID um, causing you know, thyroiditis, so either causing the thyroid condition, the autoimmune thyroid just to flip on or or the flaring up of those um, conditions in my thyroid patients for sure. And whether that, and also combined with that long-term stress. Mm. Yeah, it's just indeed something we haven't faced before. So it's it's going to be um, interesting to watch that space. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I guess the benefit is that perhaps now there's a bit more awareness slowly, (laughs) gradually, uh, more awareness to have those things tested. Uh, so maybe with the increased exposure and risk, hopefully there's increased awareness to test those things so that even if there's more people getting them, there's a bit more help out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Okay. Uh, so Tara, now if we move on to looking at how it's, you know, you're diagnosed as a child or a teenager, um, how, how then 
are they treated? Uh, is it you mentioned earlier on if you've got your thyroid removed often or sorry, if you're born without a thyroid, you'd be put on thyroid medication. Is that still the standard treatment if you are diagnosed with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's as a child, or is there something different? Um, from a medical point of view, yeah. So obviously, if, you know, if the TSH is raised, so you're looking at a, you know, subclinical hypothyroidism or, or indeed hypothyroidism regardless of Hashimoto's, so that TSH being elevated above that reference range, so usually, you know, above three, four, um, then thyroxine will be, they'll be hopped on thyroxine to try and normalise, again, that TSH. That's the medical model, getting that TSH into that, you know, range, you know, what we call euthyroidism to be round about one. Um, so when, it's particularly in uh, around puberty, um, we can actually see, so that brain development um, um, of that growing child around this time really can influence those thyroid hormone ranges. So, um, and as that brain develops, we can actually see thyroid ranges decrease a little bit. So we can also, or um, we can see a slightly higher T3 sometimes in males, um, the development doesn't really affect uh, the antibodies, but but sometimes that estrogen in girls, we can see a higher TPO. So if they've already got sort of positive antibodies, um, puberty, if they're diagnosed Hashimoto's as a child, puberty can increase those um, antibodies a little bit. When um, the thyroid goes through that growth spurt in puberty, TSH and T3 can rise a little bit between between the ages about 9 to 11. Now, that seems a little bit of a, you know, we do sort of class puberty can start from around age 9 to 11, and that is a real key area where we do see this this triggered, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, just to be aware that we may see slight elevations of of TSH and T3 due to that, that big sort of thyroid growth spurt. The thyroid really works hard during that time. Um, so we so really need to, to monitor them. And as I said, that that the estrogen has um, an affinity to sort of to attract the immune system is tension a little bit more so we can see a rise in, in TPOs. And I think I said before at the start is uh, thyroid globin, so our antibodies we can have in Hashimoto's are our thyroid peroxidase, which is the main sort of aggressive antibody, and we can have thyroid globulin. Um, so thyroid globulin, particularly in children, is often the first one to rise. So we might see, you know, normal TPO or TPO below the reference range, but we'll see thyroglobulin just start to increase. And that's an indicator of risk of developing autoimmunity. So whenever I'm sort of looking at the, you know, the, the kid's pathology results and I'm seeing, you know, thyroglobulin sort of switched on or tripped on, as I sort of say, um, then I will be watching that and maybe putting in some a bit of sort of immune modulation support to make sure it doesn't actually flip right over to um, Hashimoto's there. So there's some, you know, diff- some definitely differences that happen during that pubescent time uh, that can, um, you know, predict or, you know, as I said, we can see that increase in T3, TSH and T3, which might not be reason to just, you know, not, just knowing that that's puberty, you know, racing into, you know, jump onto medication, that it could just be that's a normal thyroid action um, and let's not get too excited. But definitely if it's, if, you know, if it's, if it's very high, the TSH and the T3, we're obviously going to go in and, um, and support that. Yeah, so other things I just other things I sort of look out, you know, if I've got a child in clinic, I'm often going to palpate, feel both sides of that thyroid gland, look and feel for swelling, uneven signs, lumps and bumps. That's something also, you know, because I do a lot of online work that I'm teaching um, 
parents or, you know, clients how to palpate their own thyroid as well. I mean, it's definitely best to be done under, you know, with a GP or a naturopath that knows what they're doing, but we can actually begin to know and feel the thyroid gland and feel for lumps and bumps or swellings. Um, You know, you can even sort of tilt the head up and, you know, look up towards the ceiling, have a little bit of water and swallow, which can actually make those that goiter stand out a a little bit more. If someone has a goiter or swelling in the neck, it's quite visible. Um, and then if it, if the child has problems with breathing or swallowing, that's something to get investigated at, you know, straight away. Another sort of symptoms we probably didn't talk about is slow reflexes. Those low thyroid hormones can definitely cause low, uh, sorry, slow reflexes. You know, looking for white spots in the fingernails as zinc deficiency as well, which is very, very important for thyroid function or someone who's very puffy, um, if the kid's very puppy um, and looking at their tongue, you know, swollen tongue can indicate uh, some um, low thyroid hormones as well. So they're just a couple of things to sort of, you know, be aware of, but it does definitely need to be uh, investigated, you know, properly, as I would say. Yeah. So when um, I'm dealing, you know, if I've got a child that I've diagnosed or they're yeah, coming to see me with hypo and Hashimoto's, Um, You know, as I sort of talk about, I always err on the side of caution with children. We definitely, kids have a very, usually a very strong vitality. So, you know, they've been on the earth for a lot less time than than adults. Their vitality, they generally have a lot less sort of toxicity and um, they respond generally quite well. So I don't have to go in um, really hard there. I usually go in low and slow with supplements and herbs and things like that and just build up, um, build up gradually, mm. um, which is really important. Uh, so I'm, look, yeah, so kids generally have that more vitality. I usually start with diet. And, you know, when we're dealing with children or you know I find that sort of you know up to age to about nine you know kids are generally very compliant they're you know they're sort of still under their parents reign as as I call it so to speak and (laughs) and they're usually aiming to please I mean not everyone not not all of them but aiming to please and and they'll do anything once we hit that sort of nine eleven and above these kids are their own people and you know it's you've got to be very sort of careful and keep it to the minimal you know, do the things that we know that are going to get changed because going all in with a full protocol with teenagers is, it, yeah. uh, you know, compliance. compliance <laughs> it's is hard. hard. Yeah. It's, isn't it? We've all, you know, we've got kids. It's hard as an adult, adult, let alone as a teenager. It's 100%. Yeah. So usually, I usually start with diet, you know, mm. I look at their diet. So things I will be, you know, I always talk about with my clients, with, um, you know, any sort of patient, we're looking for that underlying drivers and triggers. So we want to support thyroid function, definitely. But then we've got to work out what's, you know, what's going on there. So always looking at that diet and, you know, typical teenagers as they have, they get freedom to move out with their friends in towns and they love visiting the, you know, the, the lolly or the lolly aisle of, of the supermarkets. So generally these kids come in and they're usually on a lot of sugar, a lot of dairy, um, you know, fast food. It's, it's generally a, a normal teen thing to want to sort of dive into all those sort of things. So I try to really comb back on sugar. I mean, if it's autoimmune, I'm definitely looking at gluten-free, but I'll kind of look at and trying to pick what battle, you know, choose my battles of these kids and diet, which one is going to bring out, you know, the, the best result here because putting a child on a gluten-free, dairy-free, food-intolerant diet, it's not going to happen. 
most kids. I mean, some are great and will do it all, but a lot of them won't. So if it's autoimmune, I might just like really educate them around being gluten-free or if they're having a lot of dairy and they've got cystic acne and, you know, a lot of food intolerances and swellings and goiters, I might go, right, let's really focus on the dairy. So sugar, you know, really minimising that sugar, but also bringing in, you know, having one treat night or something like that. We've got to, you know, be realistic here with these kids. So trying to pick my battles with the with the diet um i think you know gut health with any thyroid thyroid autoimmune condition is essential um and looking at sleep and stress so they're, they're the sort of things i'll come in and work with first sort of the diet trying to clean up their diet a bit getting some you know fruit and veggies and getting off the processed foods and sugars and i'll pick which one i'm going to really do gluten-free dairy-free or something like that um and if they're not sleeping really working on a good bedtime routine so a lot of these things we can do within the diet and lifestyle um which is key i think with any thyroid condition you know when my patients say to me well how long do i have to take this stuff for and i said look you know initially till we get symptoms under control or we get you into remission we sort of we rely on these sort of um, nutraceuticals, but at the end of the day, the more effort you can put into your consistency with your diet and your lifestyle practices, that is how you manage the thyroid condition. And that's where I kind of come in and start with with the, with the kids as well yeah. and the team. The more they can do there, um, you know, it's less money for the parents, it's less things they have to take and, and it can bring really good results. So bedtime routine, you know, getting them off screens at a certain time, um, limiting screen time, um, you know, just working with them with a really sort of good bedtime routine can really help. Perhaps bringing in some, you know, meditations if they don't think that's too gay or, you know, don't yeah, want to say yeah. that word, whatever the word is that they'll bring in. Yep, yep. Finding their currency of how, you know, and, and it's actually working a little bit psychologically with the kids is what is your currency? What can I tell you that's going to make you really want change? You know, is it the clearer skin? Is it the more energy? Is it, you know, your hair's falling out because of low iodine or your low thyroid hormones, your antibodies, you know, what 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 currency can I bring in that's really going to help you co- to commit to this? So really working with the diet, getting them sleeping, and if stress, which generally most teens that I see, it's stressing, they're anxious, um, there's all that stuff. They've got a very poor stress response. You know, with a thyroid condition, many people have that poor stress response due to those low thyroid hormones and adrenal connection. So that's what I sort of start looking at initially, but I try and keep it as simple as possible. So we look at those lifestyle um, modifications and then I, I test, so I'm getting them to do this full thyroid panel. Um, I'm looking at their low thyroid hormones. I'm looking um, at their antibodies, looking at their nutrients. So really those key nutrients will be selenium, vitamin D, zinc, iron and iodine and B12 and making sure that's the first thing I'll probably work on is bringing those nutrients to optimal levels. And that that can just bring huge results right there. Yeah, um, yeah. So working, you know, it might be just giving them, you know, some vitamin D or talking to them about sun exposure um, or, you know, if it's low iron, why aren't they absorbing their iron? Is it, you know, due to their gut health? So we're working on the gut, um, you know, bringing in key nutrients as needed and then, you know, really focusing on their diet and, and lifestyle modifications is huge. And we, as I said, we don't need to go in with huge, a lot of things and high doses here. It's really, you know, picking the battles and finding out what's going to bring out like a really good result um, rather than overwhelming and getting, because I've had so many kids that have just, you know, the mums come in so they won't take it. You know, I'm, str- I'm having this battle every day of trying to get them to, to take it. So 
you know, it's keeping it to a minimum, I think, there. And they're bringing in other things as needed. So if I really need autoimmune support, that's what I'll do or, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, which, which also to me says the importance of working with a, a knowledgeable practitioner like yourself or an integrative doctor or, you know, someone that really knows what they're doing uh, and really working in with someone like you because your average GP is not going to be able to really manage that well no yeah no, they're really all the gp is going to do is like oh yeah your tsh is high it's medication and this is where i get a lot of you know i've had kids quite young children born without a thyroid and you know um which is similar to say someone who's had a thyroidectomy or a total removal of their thyroid and they're popped on medication um which you know for a while and when those kids are little you're micromanaging but as they get older and as those hormonal fluctuations start to come in uh, and uh, and then symptoms start appearing and that medication just doesn't cut it because all those underlying drivers aren't being addressed. So that's often when I get these kids in with hypothyroidism um, and we need to look at all those factors we've talked about, like are they sleeping well, has there been any trauma, you know, what's their gut like, um, and particularly with, um, as we know, post-thyroidectomy or, or no thyroid, thyroid at all, um, we're going to make sure that they're absorbing their medication and also converting that medication. So have they got, is that T4 being converted to T3 and is able to get into their cell adequately? So that's mm. a huge problem, um, thyroidectomy. And we know now that, um, and I know that I was listening to one of your podcast interviews and it's, and it's very true about the deiodinized enzymes and people can have genetic um, predispositions where they just don't have the, the availability of the deiodinized enzymes within the gut and the liver to convert that T4 to T3. And these are the people, uh, whether a child or teen or whatever, that may need a, um, a little bit of T3 medication, which is becoming more popular these days. When I first started this side journey, T3 wasn't even a consideration. Now I'm seeing more and more of my clients on uh, either uh, T3, T4 and T3, compounded T4, T3, or even natural desiccated thyroid. So I think um, what we're learning more about now, I mean, myself in particular, is it's not just um, thyroxine, that that's the only thing available to support your thyroid for whatever reason. Mm. Born without a thyroid, thyroidectomy, um, you know, just Hashimoto's, whatever your thyroid condition is and you have to rely on medication, if it's not working and you indeed are addressing all those underlying drivers and triggers, there are other options there and there's so many more things to consider, you know, with that medication and options. Yeah, yeah so it's good that there's options. <laughs> At least there are options now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's great. And I think, look, I think there's always been options, but mm. because of the medical paradigms, particularly in Australia, of how thyroid function is assessed, T3 is not considered by many, many um, GPs because they've never prescribed it. They don't know how to prescribe it. So it's really finding someone that has experience with T3 because T3 can, you know, can cause a whole other barrage of problems and it suppress, it will suppress your TSH and T4. So whenever you're taking T3, and it's a very finite dose, it's a very finite reference range T3 compared to T4. It has a very short half-life uh, and it can't, you know, you've got to get the dose right. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's you need to really work with an experienced practitioner. So, so quite often I've had someone come on T3 uh, and their TSH is bottomed out and their T4 is basically nothing. 
And before I had experience working with people on T3, I'd be going, oh, my goodness, what is happening to your TFTs? You know, and and I realised that that's what T3 doodles. It suppresses the T4 and TSH. And that's nothing hugely to worry about if that's helping you have more energy and a better metabolism and, and, you know, brain fog and all those symptoms. But, um, yeah, when you first see those results, it can be very overwhelming. And I think for a GP that has no experience, it's like they look at that and go, oh, my gosh, this is is wrong. This is not, you know, they're very much trying to put someone into that box of this is where you're meant to be. Mm. And when you're not in that box because of a medication, um, that can be quite overwhelming. So, but but I'm really... um, you know, happy now that th- there's more options available in the in the medical paradigm. You know, we still work on you can't still just take T3 and T4 and that's it, all the end of it as we know. We've still got to work on making sure you've got, you know, your diet's good, your gut's good, you're sleeping, you're, st- you know, managing your stress, the thyroid nutrients that are inadequate amounts. You can, you know, all those things, underlying drivers and triggers still need to be addressed. And, and so how can a parent of a, a child or a teenager with a thyroid condition, how can they best support them? Like what are most of the people that are going to be listening to this are going to be mums. Uh, so yeah. how, how do we, if we've got a child in that position, best support our child? Yeah, I think understanding number one, um, you know, and if you, I think number one, if you're worried taking a child in to get that full thyroid panel and getting checked out, so know what you're dealing with. And then, you know, once that diagnosis is made, um, not sort of freaking out too much and sort of knowing that, there is so much support that you can do for your children um, and sort of just having that conversation that this is what's going on and, you know, you may need to just look after yourself that that bit more. And, you know, with teens, they're going to do what they're going to do and everyone I think comes around to their own sort of healing journey in their life when they're ready to sort of take control of it and do the right thing. But I think number one is just, you know, having that understanding and compassion Um, and really trying to sort of, you know, lend support. You know, often when I've got, even if, you know, it's not a thyroid condition, if I'm dealing with kids in my practice where we're changing the diet, whether we're doing the food intolerances or we're doing gluten-free or dairy-free, I often say to, uh, you know, the parents, why don't you all do this? So they're not feeling like this is just me that can't have the pizza or the the ice cream or whatever, you know, if you all do it as a family, it can really help support that child um, and they don't sort of feel on the outer. And really, you know, there's, you know, even if you are sort of gluten-free, which a lot of people think, oh, my gosh, gluten-free, how am I going to be gluten-free? That's just such a life sentence. I've got to give up all my, my you know, beautiful foods and, um, you know, it can be quite distressing. But, you know, education, there's so much out there at the moment in on the, you know, the World Wide Web about, you know, gluten-free and uh, cook, you know, finding the right substitutes and, um, you know, making it making it easier. And, and, and once you sort of embrace that, um, it's not as hard as it sort of seems. But I definitely try to sort of like, you know, include everyone, include the whole family in that. If, um, and, um, and because it can be a healthier option for many people, so, you know, it's usually not just one person in the family that has issues it's usually a combination so that's something I sort of you know if everyone's willing is to try and support them and just have that you know one bread that you're all eating or and and making it easier for that child um yeah and just listening in and understanding and um you know just just giving them the support you know they may need you know further psychological support if that's an option as well looking down that track if they're really having a hard time you know socially Mm -hmm. 
Um, but just knowing that there is help out there, um, it is a bit of a life sentence. When I say it's not a life sentence, it is. You know, once you've got a thyroid condition, you always have a thyroid condition. Even when you've got that thyroid condition in remission, it can definitely be triggered by many, many different things, by stress, poor sleep, low nutrients, viruses, infections. Um, but, you know, once you sort of really work on getting that sort of baseline, getting all those nutrients up to optimal levels, um, it can be yeah, managed quite well. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I often say to, to people is that it's okay, it's good news. We've got to live with it for life, but that's okay because you've got plenty of time to make the changes. You don't have to do everything all at once. Keep it super simple. Um, and that's just to give my new book a plug. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it is that. Like, I mean, that's really why I wrote, well, one of the key reasons why I wrote the book is to to show how to do a lot of these things. I mean, it's really all about the the diet and lifestyle uh, aspects to this. And so, and I've tried to make it really practical. So there's lots of information about how to make dietary changes and what, what are some simple switches and do you do it all at once or go, you know, go a bit slower. And if you, you know, what I've tried, it's sort of broken into those, those key categories that we've already talked about, but it is also in amongst all of that, keep it super simple. That's kind of the kiss and make up with your thyroid is the kiss is keep it super simple. And which is exactly what you've just talked about, Tara, keep it simple. Try not, when you put it onto a child or a teenager, pick your battle, keep it simple, give them some practical tools. 100% because they won't do it. If it's too much for a child or a teen, they'll just go the other way. It, it's too hard. They don't want to be alienated from their friends. They want to be able to do all those things still that their fa- that their parents, oh, sorry, their parents, that their friends are doing. And, you know, mm. I've often heard that from my own kids. Why do I feel this way when all my kids get to get away with everything, you know, and I feel if I have this, I feel like that. So, well, it's different genetics and, you know, you've been brought, brought up pretty healthily and, yeah. you know, you're sensitive, your body sensitive to those things because you've never had a lot of them and it's not a curse it's actually you know a really good way to identify what's you know right and wrong and what's going to affect you in your body but yeah absolutely keep it super simple is is 100% key and 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 choosing your battles and just starting slow so I really have to look at that child in front of me and what do I think and talk to them and what do you think you can do um and and regular you know um appointments too for kids because they're the ones that go off track really quick they start good and then they'll you know something will come up and then they they lose sort of you know focus so you know having regular appointments I find really good as well to just keep them on track checking in what's working what's not all right let's get rid of that let's do this and well let's keep that because that's really working well for you and you know and really developing those habits which will be lifelong and like everyone uh people you know fall off the wagon you know everyone even the most committed adult you know um I'm, I'm dealing with people post Easter that have come. Yeah. I was doing well until Easter hit, and then I fell off. And you know, yeah. we're all human, we're all human, and kids even more so. And they need a lot of help and support. And um, you know, once those kids have that diagnosis, I think number one is just a really always check if you've you even got one little inkling go take them to well even anywhere to get the right testing because don't just suffice with a TSH you need that full thyroid panel um don't have someone tell you no it's not the thyroid it's not the thyroid because oh my gosh you know I would be a millionaire if someone gave me a dollar every time my client said that to me or I've heard that is that you've got to have that full thyroid panel make sure you know what you're dealing with 
get the right support, um, you know, and, yeah, medication is not a curse either. You know, if that's the way you have to go, um, mm-hmm. that's all, that's okay, you know, you, but you still need to work on all those underlying drivers. And I find people with medication, they go up and down. They'll be diagnosed, they go on medication, they'll feel good for a while and then they'll go down because, again, there might be low nutrients or they've never really addressed the stress or the poor gut health. And then, you know, they'll go, usually go back to the GP and adjust their dose if they can, or they might feel a little bit better and then they'll go down again. And when you really address those underlying drivers and triggers, support those nutrients um, and, you know, nutrient dense diet and gut health and all those things and sleep, um, you can really stay up on that level for a lot longer and it actually supports your medication. So, you know, there's a lot of studies around um, just gut health and the right probiotics or the right um, composition of your microbiome um, affecting your medication and, and working better for you. So, you know, there's so many things to sort of consider there. In, in a sense, what, what I'm gleaning is that in, in a lot of ways, it's not really different for teenagers. I mean, the, the ways that we've got to manage it are the same. It's just, it is probably harder to get your head around it as a teenager and they do need that extra support and maybe extra grace for, you know, for trying yeah. to, like you say, going yeah. off course or whatever. But, you know, I'm also sitting here thinking, and I thought about this when I got my son tested and we did a whole month of, you know, gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, and, and we did it as a whole family. And and he learned, like, at, so he was in grade 12 last year, so this, I think around this time, it was around when he turned 18. And wow. it, it was hard, but we asked, look, let's just mm-hmm. give it a go for a month. Like, let's not think about this is forever at this point. And he wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't and hasn't been diagnosed with Hashimoto's, but I think I still you, you, you've got a predisposition. <laughs> I mean, that's just bottom line, you know, and so let's just keep an eye on this. But for this month, let's, which was when we were getting it tested and I was taking him to see a naturopath here in Brisbane and let's just monitor it. And for that month, he was amazing, really. Like he would go, he'd worked out that, you know, not ideal, but he could order French fries from McDonald's and not, you know, you know, and there was, he found the things in the places that he was going with his friends that he could have. And and it wasn't his first choice, but he wasn't completely missing out either. And probably after that kept the gluten-free going for longer. And I mean, at the moment we're first year uni and it's sort of a bit more of a, you know, (laughs) a bit more of a free for all. Um, But I think, well, let's just, monitor I keep an eye on you know just as a general yeah yeah and he's got a great base he's got a great base to come back to he's had a sort of a bit of a touch of that a taste Mm. of that and then he's got that that um base also which is fantastic and he will he'll come back and you know he'll ebb and flow a little bit and he'll really find out what things work for him and Mm. um identify with those and come back to those yeah yeah. absolutely and if if he and you know you know other teenagers that were you know in the orbit of this conversation can start to even tune into their body a bit at, at in a teen in the teenage years as to what what's going on and how they feel i mean what a gift you know if we could put that spin on it i don't mean that is spin in a bad way but you know put that perspective reframe it because it is a gift like if you can start to tune in when you're a teenager to either I eat this, I feel like that, or when I'm really stressed, this is what happens or whatever it is. It's just, you know, whether you pay attention to it 
straight away or, you know, really kind of, it's all part of that intuition, isn't it? Learning to trust your intuition, listen to your body, yeah, make good choices or not good choices and then live with the concept, you know, it's all part of that learning. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I much agree with that. Yeah. So, Tara, is there something I haven't asked you that you think in this context of kids, teenagers and thyroid health that, you know, the audience would, should need, you know, need to know about? Pretty much discuss it. Um, yeah, I mean, my um, youngest out of three has Hashimoto. The other two seem to be fine. And, um, yeah, she was sort of diagnosed around about uh, 15, but I really believe, and it's interesting that my own Hashimoto's was diagnosed, I think, definitely with her. Uh, yeah, I was, di- well, I wasn't diagnosed too much later, but I believe that I was diagnosed from her birth, po- like past postpartum, had a lot of symptoms. So, um yeah, but we found out with her, um, she was sort of around about 15 um, with Hashimoto's and, yeah, I mean, I think for her, you know, um, her being her mum, I had three kids in four years, three cesarean births, um, you know, there's a lot of stress in my third pregnancy. So, um, yeah, just to be aware, I think, of just watching your child, if there's any sort of untoward symptoms that you think are not right or, or anything we've identified in the podcast, then definitely check in and um, get that get that test. I think that's really important. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of what, you know, I hope generally this, this both this episode and the podcast does is help spread that awareness of thyroid issues and symptoms and what to look out for so that there's less misdiagnosis, Absolutely. underdiagnosis going on broadly yes. around the world. It's not just a diagnosis of adults. That's right. Um, kids can have uh, Graves' disease. They can have nodules. They can have goiter. They can have all the things that, um, you know, it's definitely more common in adults, but um, it's, it's kids can be diagnosed as well. And I think that's I think that's on the increase, unfortunately, as well, considering, you know, the life we all live this today. Well, look, I think that's been a really helpful conversation, Tara, and we all want to do the best by our kids and we all, you know, so I think one of the ways we can do that is just being aware of all these different things that you've been talking about and 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 go get them tested if, if you are worried, as you say. Tara, if people want to connect with you, uh, work with you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, probably best to, I have a lot, so I have a thyroid patient group called um, Thyroid Health Actually with Tara Nelson. Um, I have a website, taranelson.com. There's lots of blogs on there. There's um, lots of information that you can jump on and um, read and yeah, have a look at my programs and my Facebook groups and things like that as well. I was going to say, I've noticed uh, on Facebook, because I, you know, I follow you on Facebook, uh, that you've got a, a course coming up. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I'm just actually, it starts today. Um, oh, it starts today. To okay. Yeah. So I have six-week pro, uh, patient programs. Uh, one's hyperthyroidism and Hashimoto's and the other one's hyperthyroidism and Graves' disease. So we're running um, a live round of those. So it goes for six weeks and we really address those diet, lifestyle, things you can do to really sort of get your thyroid condition um, under control. Um, and um, I come in every week on a Facebook Live and we just we discuss your t- test results, what's going on for you, sort of really to personalise the experience. Hmm. Yeah, well, look, I think if you're listening to that, obviously we'll have you've missed this round, but keep an eye out for future rounds uh, that you're offering it. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tara. Maybe we'll do a third interview at some point down the track. I'm sure we will never run out of topics to talk about, but it's lovely to have yeah. another Australian to talk to as well on the show. <laughs> I do I do like to have our Aussie conversations, so I do appreciate that too. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Thyroid. I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and share it with others that you know with thyroid problems. Let's get the message out there. If you'd like to connect with me further, the best place to do that is via my website, AnnabelleBateman.com. From there, you'll be able to join my Facebook group, book a strategy session with me, download my freebie um, and access any show notes for this episode. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time. Bye. Have you read Let's Talk Thyroid yet? That is the book that I put out last year. It is all about positive and practical thyroid help for the new thyroid patient uh, or for the thyroid patient that is new to the idea that there's anything other than taking your medication that you can do for your thyroid health. Grab your copy from Amazon or from my website, letstalkthyroid.com, or grab a copy for a friend who is struggling with their thyroid health and just needs some really accessible bite-sized, practical and positive information that's going to give you hope for your thyroid future.